Welcome to my new show, The Dr. Jerry Fishkin Show. Well, I'm Dr. Jerry Fishkin. My goal is to bring the consulting room to your living room. Your feedback will help make this show a show not for me, but for you. So sit back, relax, and let's jump in. Hello, I'm Dr. Jerry Fishkin and welcome to my show. This episode is part three of a three-part series devoted to firefighter and paramedic stress and burnout. Today, we will look at identifying firefighter stress and how to effectively deal with it. My introduction to firefighters and the fire service was a combination of good timing, serendipity, and luck. After my first book, Police Burnout, was published over 30 years ago, I spent one year on the national book tour doing television and radio across the country. Sometime during the tour, I was appearing on KFI radio in Los Angeles talking about police burnout and my new book and fielding questions from call-ins. One of the callers was a firefighter who said that he had suffered severe stress and, and he burnt out. And he asked me if I had had any experience with firefighters or paramedics, and I had never been in a fire station. I had no experience whatsoever. And I said, no, but I, you know, and it was interesting, but I had no experience, period. And I continued the interviews with other call-ins. About a week later, my publisher contacted me telling me that the retired firefighter call-in would like to talk to me further. That led to a very interesting relationship and resulted in my spending the next six months living uh, and eating and uh, working in firehouses all across Southern California. I would go on calls. I would do just exactly what the firefighters and paramedics did in terms of the time spent. Those experiences, many of which were profound, and the stories, insights, and understandings of the structure of the fire service and those dedicated firefighter and paramedics resulted in my second book, Firefighter and Paramedic Burnout, The Survival Guide, The Role You Play. One night after returning to the station house from a pretty traumatic call around 2.30 a.m., the, the paramedic uh, that I was working with, who had 28 years experience on the job, bluntly revealed the following to me, and I quote, over the years, you learn to deal with the violence just as you deal with the pain you see. People deal with it in a million different ways. You'll drink to excess. You'll take drugs. You'll go home and feel better, but it may be an unreal feeling. You'll divorce your wife or have an affair. You'll become totally antisocial. That's what I do. When I go home and I have three days off, I close the door and I don't leave. Even when we end up going out, somebody will bring it up. Well, how's your work? What do you do? It must be so exciting. What's your worst call? Because they don't understand. They couldn't understand. It was profound then and it's as profound now as I, as I read it and think about it. So there's little disagreement that firefighter work is at times highly stressful. However, 
Clinical experience and the results of recent research indicate that stress, as manifested by members of the FIRE community, is due more to psychological factors than to potential physical dangers involved in firefighter work. Job pressures, the responsibility of protecting the public, internal departmental conflicts, the maintenance of macho defenses, bipolar, that is good or bad thinking, emotional distancing from others, poor diet, and lack of exercise to help discharge internal pressures are more emotionally, psychologically, and physically debilitating than the risk of being injured or killed while doing their job. Stress is a part of everyday life. It's the interaction of our efforts to cope with the internal demands we place upon ourselves and the external demands of our environment. Stress and its effects are cumulative. You must understand that. They add up. Burnout is the sum total of our efforts to cope with the stresses and frustrations in our life. In the struggle to cope, there has been an increasing rise in the number of cases of burnout. As we have seen in the episode on firefighter and paramedic burnout, it is a syndrome of physical, psychological, and emotional exhaustion, cynicism, suppressed anger, and despair that frequently occurs among individuals involved in public safety-related occupations. Firefighters and paramedics deal with others who, like themselves, are under acute or chronic tension and stress. Firefighters are constantly dealing with individuals under less than favorable or outright horrible conditions. The individuals they deal with may be in a state of shock, crisis, physical trauma and injury, grieving, agitation, or other emotionally charged states. Generally, a firefighter is the first to arrive at the scene of a crisis and the last to leave. Most often, his emotional and perceptual experience of the scene is intense and vivid, frequently reliving the scene over and over in his mind in order to file an accurate report about it later. In this scenario, firefighters and paramedics are most susceptible to post-traumatic stress and secondary or vicarious trauma as well. For the firefighter, the social expectation is that he suppress his emotions while doing his job. This begins to carry over to his personal life when the shift is over. In time, the psychological and emotional baggage becomes heavier and more difficult to carry around. Firefighters develop coping styles to quell their psychological and physical responses to stress. And over time, those coping methods may become ineffective in stemming the tide of stress and exhaustion. One's coping mechanisms can also contribute to stress. This is becoming more prevalent among firefighters today. In the emergency services environment, firemen, for the most part, show a reluctance to admit that they experience stress-related problems or that their formerly effective methods of coping are breaking down. 
This is often due to two major factors common to firefighters. Those being, number one, fear of losing the respect of fellow fire firefighters and being branded as emotionally weak or inadequate. Firefighters tend to tease or badger those among them who show any human weakness. The quote, grinding starts and does not stop until the weak firefighter has learned to suppress his reactions and emotions by not responding to the sometimes brutal teasing of his peers. And number two, firefighters compete for very few promo promotional spots. Thus, many firefighters believe they must be perceived by their administrators as superheroes in the field and also in the firehouse. This is interesting to note that within many departments, firefighter evaluations assess two primary areas of a firefighter's occupational life. Those being how well the firefighter functions under stressful situations and how well he gets along with his fellow firefighters, his peers. The firefighter is reluctant to share his downside emotions or shortcomings, either real or imagined, for fear that it most likely will affect his fitness report and inhibit promotion, promotability. When firefighters exhibit manifestations of maladaptive behavior, fire administration generally and typically recommends a change of station assignment or assignment to a daylight job. It's been my clinical experience, however, that a change of assignment is not necessary unless the firefighter is compromised emotionally. That is, <clears throat> displaying anxiety, depression, suicidal gestures or ideas, despair on a constant and consistent basis, or is chemically addicted to the extent that his judgment and behavior are seriously impaired. The firefighter may elect to stay in his present assignment and simply go on vacation or tough it out. In many cases, just being able to emotionally express oneself and unload the excess psychological and emotional baggage is all that's necessary to resolve the problem for the distressed firefighter. But if that is not effective, other interventions become necessary. So firefighters stress in the treatment process. So when an individual is in a crisis or experiencing an extreme stress reaction bordering on exhaustion, that person's energy is primarily expended in the attempt to maintain a sense of balance. Generally, one's level of performance in both the personal and occupational areas of their world is compromised. You must understand compromised. One paramedic described the feeling to me as simply trying to tread water. Wow, and you try to get through your day that way, that's, that's crazy. As a general rule, Individuals who realize, realize they are not coping effectively and seek counseling or psychotherapy themselves often show a more favorable treatment outcome than do individuals who are not self-referred, such as court-referred treatment cases. I don't see, the, see these cases anymore because they just are so resistant. They're the most resistant to outside help. Therefore, for the therapeutic relationship to be most effective and productive, and please, please understand this, 
the individual seeking treatment must feel the need and the importance in his life strongly enough to want to make change. It's not enough if your wife drags you in or a girlfriend. Uh, uh, most of these individuals are reluctant to change and they don't. So there are self-directed approaches for the resolution of firefighter stress, and I'm going to throw those out to you. Number one, awareness of the problem or stressor is the first step to resolution. The problem of dealing with stress is blocked by the reluctance or outright denial that something is wrong. Others working close to you can see it, but you won't admit it. You may feel a sense of anxiety or tension, a lack of motivation, depression, or other physical manifestations of stress, such as general fatigue. Yet, you still deny anything is wrong. Breaking through this denial and acknowledging that life is out of balance is the first major step toward making the necessary life-modifying changes to reduce stress. Number two, stress monitoring to track the, what I call internal thermostat and increase your level of self-awareness. So what do I mean by stress monitoring? Stress monitoring is essential for assessing the degree of stress prevalent or present in your system, your life. Stress monitoring includes developing a keen sense of awareness of the changes in your internal state, as well as recognizing from past experience those situations, events, and thought patterns that have a high stress triggering potential. This includes attempting to be objective regarding the specific external stressors in your life and how these stressors were handled in the past. I have a method here for gaining a clear uh, perception uh, of the problem. And one way to do this is to pretend that a family member or a close friend has been experiencing the or your problem and has come to you for help to resolve it. How would you tell that person how to deal with it? Write it down. Write your solutions for their problem. Also, try to look at the problem area from all perspectives. I, I look at it like a gyroscope spinning in space, almost as if it were a three-dimensional sphere or object. Look at it as objectively as you possibly can. Number three, communicate your pain with a significant other. <sighs> Firefighters are reluctant to tell their family about their work in order to protect them from the everyday horrors experienced on the job. In reality, he is also protecting himself from reliving the situations and experiencing the stresses all over again. And in so doing, the stress or tension becomes locked within himself. It begins its destructive work from the inside out and the emotional distance between a burned out firefighter and his family continues to widen as the burnout syndrome advances. And I look at this like an overinflated inner tube. The internal pressures become unbearable. And at some point, the weakest part of that system, like in an inner tube, will pop. And I'm not sure what it will be, but something is gonna happen. And it is essential that you communicate your downside thoughts and feelings, especially with those emotionally close. 
at the least, you must express your realization that something is amiss. Asking loved ones, family, friends, or close peers for their perception of your coping methods or behaviors and requesting honest feedback is an important step to opening up the closed system, which you create for yourself. Through this process, you can begin to share your thoughts as well as your feelings. The net result is that your perception of yourself will become more crystallized, more clear, and you can begin to view yourself a bit more objectively. Number four, objectively look at your attitude toward the stressor and evaluate your payoffs for maintaining that attitude. More often than you would like to admit to yourself, you maintain certain attitudes or approaches to life such that the net payoff is feeling as though or believing that you are a victim. This is often a carryover from very early childhood training and early life experiences. It is sometimes very surprising to discover that your early life role models act out many of the same life patterns as you do that you have emulated their approach to dealing with stress situations like they did. Often, the outcome is feeling as though you're on the bottom of the rubbish heap. The result is being poor me. However, if you can honestly and objectively look at the payoffs for those situations that leave you constantly feeling a sense of loss or despair, then you can change your approach. That is, if you're hurting bad enough, you'll, t you'll make a change. People who aren't hurting don't change. For some, however, maintaining the role of victim relieves them of the responsibility of maintaining and dealing with their life. And it, in essence, causes you to feel as though the power over your life is in someone else's hands rather than your own. Folks, this should be avoided at all cost. Number five, lower self expectations so that they're in line with reality. Now, lowered expectations do not mean a lowered standard of living. Don't push yourself beyond what is normal and healthy. Our body usually tells us what our mind doesn't want to listen to. This is especially true of firefighters who have a strong desire for promotion. Oftentimes, Firefighters maintain an unrealistic view of their own potential or capabilities. This is most often apparent during the promotion process. Among paramedics, for example, the feeling of omnipotence flows over into all other aspects of their lives. During emergency situations, the paramedic is in control, often having to make life and death decisions instantaneously. He is sometimes even referred to as a paragod by his peers, as his complete desire, often at a necessity for control, is apparent. How can you expect less than perfection in a life and death situation? Being superhuman, able to respond to any emergency without losing control, becomes a way of life, not only at work, but at home as well. Therefore, the paramedic finds himself frustrated by an untidy, less than perfect home. 
Lowered expectations, on the other hand, lead to lowered levels of frustration. Frustration that continues unremitting leads to directly to aggression, anger, and rage. Consequently, there is a direct correlation between our level of expectations and the stresses you experience in life. Also, lowered and more realistic expectations reduce your feeling of helplessness, which is a major factor of depression. So in my office, I, I, I use this example. Here's reality and here are your unrealistic expectations. And that gap in between is your frustration. Therefore, you can't change reality, but you can lower your expectations so that they meet reality. Thus, you must learn to live more realistically with the givens of life and not push yourself mentally and physically beyond the limits of your endurance. None of us are superhuman. Although sometimes you would like to believe you are and try to portray that image to others, but it just won't work. It fails. We're all just, you know what we are? We're all uh, perfectly imperfect. Number six, examine the personal myths under which you are operating. Get rid of the excess psychological baggage. Beliefs and attitudes form the most important part of our psychological makeup. They are the foundation upon which we view the world and we view ourselves. Our self-concept is formed very early in life by those who trained us. Our parents and significant others are the central figures in our life. Those are caregivers. Our earliest social interactions also add to the formation of our belief system, how other children related to us and how we related to them determines our socialization skills. Your personal sense of competence and feeling of self-worth also derives from these early life experiences. And so more often than not, our self-worth, self-doubts, fears, and lack of trust are learned as infants. We grow up without ever questioning the validity of these beliefs that we hold about ourselves and others so dearly. In essence, we're limited in life only by our belief system and the myths that we create about who we are. These personal myths often go undisclosed to anyone lest they discover that possibly you don't feel as good about yourself as you would like to have them believe. This is the essence of excess psychological baggage. Unless you question the basis of your belief system, you will continue to carry this baggage throughout your life. I liken this faulty belief system to an old suitcase filled with garbage. One end of the rope is tied around the suitcase and the other end is tied around our neck. Once you sever the rope, you no longer have the burden of the garbage. Beliefs and fears that are irrational or inconsistent with our self-concept weigh us down and hinder our personal growth and progress in life. An approach that may help to unburden you begins with making out a list of your fears. Write them down. Assess how realistic they are in light of 
who and what you are and what you've accomplished in your life, what you know about yourself. Ask yourself the question, are these my own fears based upon my life experiences or are they a carryover from childhood, from somebody else? Did you learn your fears from a role model and adopt them as your own? Finally, discuss your list with someone close to you and see how valid it is. More often than not, you'll find that much of your stress has resulted from the maintenance of defense, defenses of significant portions of this faulty belief system. Number seven, integrate areas of gray in your thinking. And this is a big one. A firefighter's attitude of right and wrong were formulated prior to his employment. Being on a fire department vividly accentuates them. The firefighter's family bears the brunt of his bipolar, no gray philosophy and becomes a major aspect of the firefighter's stress syndrome, often resulting in the acting out of one's frustrations at home. Suddenly, the prestige of being a member of a firefighter's family ceases to be important. Instead, it becomes a source of discomfort for the family. Now, due to his intimate familiarity with the most traumatic aspects of life, the firefighter allows no room for straying from the straight and narrow for his spouse or children. Yet he may find himself breaking the very code of morality to which he forces his family to adhere to. There is frequently so great a discrepancy between what a firefighter sees and feels during the work shift and its relationship to his own personal life that the coping efforts can become exhausting for him. Firefighters function within a framework of rules and regulations that define the parameters of their interactions. The world becomes black and white. Their calls become characterized as good calls or bad calls. Did the patient live or die? However, from the standpoint of proper mental health, there are gradations along the continuum from black to white. To the extent that you don't allow for areas of gray in your life, your perception of the world becomes distorted into bipolar evaluations. It is beyond imperative to modify bipolar thinking. Your good-bad evaluations directly relate to positive or negative emotional reactions without allowing for a middle ground. This might be termed the firefighter or paramedic's emotional seesaw. The emotionally healthy safety officer is one who is able to leave bipolar thinking in his locker when he takes off his turnouts at the end of the shift. Bipolar thinking is extremely unhealthy and you really have to evaluate that. Number eight, improve your attitude toward personal physical health. As I previously said, firefighters tend to be high activity individuals who derive maximum stimulation from their environment. I call them verbs. As a verb, they're constantly on the go type individuals. Yet, the occupation of firefighter is also highly sedentary 
at the same time. And at times, which means the heart muscle usually doesn't get a good workout unless the firefighter is on a regular exercise program. Exercise reduces internal pressure often felt during periods of great stress. It not only tones the body, but it also increases the production of endorphins in the brain, the neurotransmitter which, transmitter which aids in the body's healing process. The greater commitment to a regular workout program, the less risk of coronary artery and other stress-related diseases. Now, exercise alone is not the only key to good health and reduced stress levels. Proper diet is the other half. And one without the other is like a car without proper fuel. You won't get very far. Firefighters experiencing high levels of stress frequently report a lack of energy or desire to work out. They often report that, that when they feel better, they will begin to exercise. Well, it's the chicken and the egg. However, the problem becomes one like, as I just said, the chicken and the egg. The sooner the firefighter begins a rigorous workout regimen, the more quickly he will begin to feel the physical relief of internal stress pressures. Okay, so those are kind of the individual uh, things that a, a, a firefighter and paramedic can do to reduce stress. But there are community-based resources for the resolution of firefighter stress primarily. The community-based uh, resources pertain to those sources of help or treatment available within one's community can, that can be used to facilitate or restore a proper and healthy balance to one's life. So what are they? Individual psychological counseling or therapy and supportive therapy generally incorporates uh, methods for providing reassurance, emotional support, psychological inoculation, such as defining for the firefighter what's presently happening to him, as well as what he can or cannot expect to feel or experience as a result of his crisis. Also included are the emotional stages he will most likely go through before a resolution is reached. And if it's grieving, we'll have to definitely go through those five stages of grieving. There's no way around that. Another method is relaxation training and hypnosis. And this can be employed to facilitate relaxation without the need for medical or chemical intervention, such as the use of tranquilizers. Using this approach, the firefighters are trained to observe signs of bodily stress signals and are taught methods for relaxing and modifying external or internal signs and signals that have previously led to an anxiety response. So we can really nip it in the bud that way. Another method I found that's really important is assertion training. And this is a non-traditional form of expressive therapy that facilitates personal growth and behavior change through teaching one how to freely express personal beliefs, feelings, thoughts, as well as wants and needs without fear or guilt. Through the process of self-assertion, we develop the awareness of our freedom to be and express who we are openly and honestly, thereby fostering a sense of personal integrity and healthy self-pride. Stress can be reduced <clears throat> through this process because we hold nothing back. And as a result, we become more in touch with who we are 
I find this process to be very important with individuals who are not assertive, who are somewhat withdrawn, quiet, and, and, and really fail to, to allow others to see who they are. So, so through assertion training, which can be a very powerful tool, individuals get to see all at once and almost immediately uh, how they feel and are able to relate that um, subjectively and objectively. Another method is crisis intervention. Now, in cases of extreme stress reactions, crisis intervention may be used to neutralize the firefighter's responses to a specific stressor, which has created an extreme emotional and or behavioral reaction. Crisis intervention may result in uh, removing the firefighter uh, from the work environment or may require short-term hospitalization especially if the firefighter begins to experience a physiological breakdown, such as cardiac distress, angina, gastrointestinal, or other disorders. Alcohol and drug counseling and detoxification. Alcohol use and abuse are a means of self-medicating. It can also be a symptom of addiction and psychological dependency. This also contributes to low morale, impaired performance levels, absenteeism, and high turnover of personnel within a department. On the home front, the self-medicating firefighter frequently finds himself the subject of his family's anger and their feelings related to a lack of family cohesiveness. This further adds to the condition of overload for the stressed out firefighter. Many fire departments throughout the country are beginning to recognize the high incidence of alcohol and drug abuse among their employees. The detrimental effects of alcoholism are reflected in compromised job performance and often becomes the hidden element leading to an early retirement. If the firefighter's addiction is such that he cannot control or cease his chemical dependency on his own, the treatment of choice is detoxification, most often requiring a short-term hospitalization, usually a 28-day stay in a treatment facility, with supportive follow-up treatment with abuse, individual and family counseling, and referral, referral to Al Alcoholics Anonymous are generally also significant components of these programs. Al-Anon and Alateen groups for members of the safety officer's family often provide further support and understanding of chemical dependency and addiction. How family and friends unknowingly reinforce the addictive process is also emphasized during this treatment process. Marital and family counseling. The firefighter is often reluctant to tell his family about his work in order to protect them from the everyday horrors experienced on the job. But in reality, he's also protecting himself from reliving the situations and experiencing the stresses all over again. But in so doing, the stress or tension becomes locked within himself. It begins its destructive work from the inside out and the emotional distance between a burned out firefighter and his family continues to widen as the burnout syndrome advances. Clinically, I have found that family relationships 
often prove to be a pivotal point in diagnosing a burnout condition. An increase in marital and parent-child difficulties often points to problems on the job. The firefighter can't take off his internal pressure like he does his uniform. He gets tougher with his family and more rigid and dogmatic in his attitudes. His bipolar thinking about right and wrong becomes more prominent in his communication and behavior. Firefighters frequently act out their stresses within the safety of the home environment. Marital and family therapy offers all members of the family unit an opportunity to discuss openly and without fear of retribution, the problems that exist within the home. Now, all of this stuff doesn't work. A temporary or permanent change of shift or assignment may be necessary. Or the use of sick leave, vacation, holiday time, or a leave of absence may be requested. Medical referrals may be made and often are. And in some cases, psychological or behavioral approaches may not be sufficient or effective in reducing the clinical symptoms of stress. If the firefighter is in an advanced or aggravated stress reaction, a psychopharmacological approach may be the treatment of choice. Tranquilizers or mood elevators may be prescribed to reduce the effects of extreme stress especially when the effects are pronounced, such as with tremor of the extremities, chest pains, heart palpitations, uh, excess, excessive perspiration, and other forms of extreme autonomic nervous system activation. I have witnessed paramedics after uh, returning to the station from a extreme and traumatic uh, call I've experienced them in their quiet time, hands shaking. Uh, they seem to be in a stress reaction, but when I confront them, they deny it. But I look at the hands and I look at the body and maybe 2.30 or 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, you can see the symptoms of stress, but, but they're not aware of it. It's, I, I can't even explain what this feels like and looks like. And that's why awareness is so important. If interventions are not sought and the firefighter's stress worsens, he increasingly shuns social activities for solitary ones. This becomes his defense for survival. He sometimes correctly assumes that his off-duty contacts with people will be just as upsetting as his on-duty work. Consequently, the stressed out firefighter's perception of reality becomes so distorted that he shuns his otherwise primary source of social and professional interaction, being with other firefighters, and burnout has now taken over. Burnout is a reality, and those in public service are becoming more aware of the ever-present danger of being consumed by the very system that they are sworn to serve. Fire departments must avoid burnout at all cost, for costly it is, not only monetarily due to a tremendous loss of trained and dedicated personnel, but costly from the emotional and psychological toll it takes on the burnout victim, those closest to him, 
and his entire community. Fire administrators must begin to approach the problem of stress management without stigma or prejudice and with a sensitivity to the needs of all its employees. Problem areas must be identified and practical alternatives formulated to reduce stress factors at work. The answer to the management of occupational stress and burnout is awareness, acceptance, and action by the fire administration and the employee. Stress is inevitable and treatable. Burnout is a waste and should be avoided at all costs. I want to thank each of you for listening. And if what I said today has meaning for you and somebody close to you in your life, please do not hesitate contacting me at my email or visit my website at drgeraldfishkin.com or at my Facebook page. And it is Jerry with a G. For an expanded understanding of firefighter and paramedic stress and burnout, please pick up a copy of my book, Firefighter and Paramedic Burnout, The Survival Guide and the Role You Play at amazon.com or directly from Parker's Brothers Publishers. And we'll show this to you at the end of the show on the screen. I wanna take this time to thank each of you who have been so kind as to write and email me with your wonderful comments and suggestions. Your positive regard has been overwhelming. And remember, if there's a topic you suggested and we use it on our show, your reward will be one of our Good Fish production mugs and an on-screen acknowledgement of your contribution. And remember, our show intends to be fully interactive. So please, let us hear from you. It's really important that we have your, your feedback. So until the next episode of the Dr. Jerry Fishkin Show, I'm Dr. Jerry Fishkin wishing you love, hugs, and all my compassionate best.